whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships. I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ageless. So it's just me today, and I am joined by my wifey and my best friend, Lily Heimwitz, and we are going to get into her story a little bit, which is amazing, and I'm sure you guys will benefit so much from listening to her speak about mindfulness and recovery and all of that. So hi, Lily, and welcome to Ageless. Hi. Thanks for having me. I feel so honored to be a guest on this. I love listening to you and your mom always. You guys are my favorite people, so I'm really excited to be here. So I guess for people who might not know, let's just get into your story a little bit. Maybe you can tell us about how you found mindfulness. I guess I would say I started on this whole journey of like self-help, mindfulness, meditation when I was going through a really bad breakup when I was like 14, 15 at the time. And I had put everything into this relationship at the time for someone that young, that sounds silly maybe, but I really had like put all of my energy and time and I kind of lost myself through it. And so when we broke up, I was in a really bad place. I felt like I didn't know who I was anymore. I felt like I had no purpose. And for someone so young, that was like a very early age to feel all of that. But I just remember my dad one day coming down into my room and I like didn't want to get out of bed and I didn't want to do anything. And he said to me, Lily, you have to, you have to read this book. My assistant, his assistant at the time had read it and she had gone through a divorce and she said it changed her life. And he handed me The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, which now I have tattooed on me. I ended up falling in love with the book. I think I was looking for anything to help get me out of that dark space, but that book like exceeded, I had never even known that way of thinking that of living just in the present moment. I was always so worried about exterior things and external things. And so when I read it, I fell in love with it. And I decided I needed to go to Oslo, Norway, where Eckhart Tolle, the author, was speaking (laughs) at, at a convention center for five days, for three hours, three times a day. And obviously, I was sick. I was at this point, 16 years old. And they were like, you go alone to Norway by yourself, but I really wanted to. (laughs) And so she came with me and we went there and it was just an incredible experience. It was like thousands of people all there just trying to learn how to live like the happiest and best and most present way they could. And that energy changed my life. And after that experience, I think I was, I have ever since been like in search of self-help and the meat, bigger meaning of life and how to find happiness and all of that. So that's really where it all started. Were there things that you learned from that 
first conference that you went to that surprised you about his teachings? I mean, I had read both the books, so I wouldn't say surprising, but I mean, the whole concept just to me of like living in the present moment and how simple he breaks things down and all of his teachings were surprising to me because of the way I was living. I was living fully caught up in my head and my thoughts and in approval of others. And in when I say external things, like I was lucky enough, obviously, to be able to have like bags and clothes and this and that. And like, I still was unhappy. And so I think that surprised me that that realization of none of this makes makes you happy. And at such a young age to realize that I think I was the youngest person there by like, what, like 20 something years. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it was crazy. And you weren't allowed to have your phones out or anything. So I, I was very like immersed in the whole experience. I would love to dive into meditation a little bit. And I know that you began meditating around the same time. So tell us about that. So Eckhart in his readings doesn't really say that you need to do a formal practice. And so that early on in my journey, I wasn't formally meditating. I was more like bringing my attention to like the he says little things like when you're brushing your teeth, be fully present. When you're eating, be fully present. And he thinks of that as a form of meditation. And like when instead of rushing out the door, when you're tying your shoes, like do it slowly and like be there for the whole experience and all of that. And so I think I was beginning to do that, but I hadn't started formally meditating until about, I would say like a year or two after that. When I started meditating, I was actually in Kenyan Ranch, which I think I've told you about, but it's this amazing place where you get to go and focus on like your wellness and your spirituality and your health and your fitness. People go for all different reasons. I went mainly because I felt like I had learned all of these things by reading these books, but I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was fully like living them, like living by the practices. I felt like more, I just conceptually knew them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Kenyan Ranch to try and figure out how to, and I could get into this more later, but to try and figure out how to really live, live the way that I'm thinking, live the way that like he says is possible. Cause I understood it. I understood all of it, but it was very hard for me to actually do it. Mm-hmm. And then meditation, one of the spiritual teachers at Kenyan Ranch guided me through meditation and said that she thought that a formal sitting practice would be what would help me to really live the way that I want to, the way that he speaks of. That was when I first started meditating. She showed me the app Headspace, which is now something I use every single day. At the time, there was like 2,000 users on it. Now there's like maybe like millions, millions and millions Mm -hmm. of people. So it's crazy. So you've explained this to me a bit, but I know there's different types of meditation, which type of meditation do you practice and what are your thoughts on the other forms? There are so many that I like, I haven't tried all of them, but the two ones that I've done the most, well, I've done a lot of like regular breathing meditations where you, there's different types, like there's ones that focus on anxiety and ones if you go on Headspace or if you go to a class in New York City, I don't know if they're open now, but if you go to like one of these places, there's breathing meditations that are all the same 
form of meditation, but they are about different things. So like you could be working with your heart, you could be working with anger, you could be working with anxiety, but they're all breathing meditations, whether it's a visualization or just an awareness meditation. It's all basically just like bringing your awareness to your breath, noticing your thoughts, acknowledging them, being kind to them, and then like letting them pass and returning to your breath. That's the main one that I do. That's the one that Headspace does. I do that every day. And then the other medi- the other form of meditation that I love, a lot of people know it as transcendental meditation, but I was taught it as Vedic meditation. And it comes from the Veda, but it has turned into when it has been like commercialized, I guess I would say, and turned into transcendental meditation. But when I learned it, it I learned it from a Vedic teacher. and it's like a three-day course. You're given a mantra, which you're not supposed to share with anyone else. The teacher tells you the mantra in like secrecy, and it's supposed to be like your thing. And then you meditate on it for 20 minutes twice a day, which is a lot. And I did that for, when, after the course, I did that for about three months. And instead of, so instead of returning to your breath, you return to the mantra and it's kind of like a sound, that type of mantra is a sound. I did it for three months and felt incredible results. And then I kind of fell off the bandwagon because it's hard. Like 20 minutes twice a day is you can make time if you want to make time. And I always believe that. And I want to, I do really want to start it again. And the good thing about that type of meditation is once you buy the course and you're taught it, the teachers will give you uh, like refresher courses whenever you want. You mentioned being given a mantra. And I want to know what your understanding of mantras are and how we can find our own or make our own. So I think to my the best of my understanding, there's different types of mantras. There's the formal like mantras that you meditate with that you're given in these types of meditations are usually a sound like ding dong. It's like a sound that when you like close your eyes, you could hear without having to say it out loud. And so you like meditate on that. So you close your eyes and like you're given a sound, but his example is always ding dong. Cause if you're, you could say it's a sound you could say out loud, but it's also a sound you can hear if you close your eyes and just think with that, you work with it basically just by meditating on it. So you return to that instead of returning to your breath, but every, they say in transcendental meditation and in Vedic that everyone has to be given their own. I don't really know about all that, but The other form of mantras that I think are more like commonly spoke about are just like sayings or phrases that you repeat to yourself over and over to either like manifest something or bring something to your attention or like, like I am strong. Like it's kind of like an affirmation, I guess. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is there a difference? I mean, not that I know there might be, but not that I know of, I'm pretty sure it's like, they're pretty interchangeable besides the fact that an affirmation definitely isn't something, I mean, I I guess you could meditate on an affirmation, but a mantra also can be like that. Like I was saying, that sound you can meditate on. Okay. But I think that people have kind of started, started calling affirmations like mantras they live by or like mottos or whatever. Okay. Got it. What's yours at the moment? Mm, what's mine at the moment? I would say they're usually I am statements. So I really mm-hmm. love coming back to like, I am growing and I am evolving because mm-hmm. I think there's so much pressure on being like a finished 
product or be, be doing this or be doing that or have this done. And for me, I put a lot of pressure on myself. So I like to always come back to like, I'm growing and I'm evolving and I can always change my path or do this or do that. And that's like the, I feel like that's the place I'm in right now in my life where I'm finally like figuring out what my purpose is. But I would say that's mine right now. What's yours right now? I'm not sure. I would say, I think one thing that like we can all think about for the past year and everything we've gone through, like as a country and just all the struggles we've all kind of had to face is that I am resilient. I know that I'm able to recover and pivot and turn things around if I feel like the ship is ever sinking because it's definitely felt like that a lot in the past year. And I've still, I can say right now that I'm probably in the best state mentally that I've been in my entire life, despite everything that we have faced as a country in the past year. So I'm resilient is definitely mine. I love that. I love that. It's amazing. Like if you're healthy and lucky enough right now to like slow down, how much it could help your mental health is it's crazy. For sure. And I've like, definitely, I know a lot of people who've kind of had like a quarantine glow up. And I think that just, it speaks to the fact that for those lucky few who have been able to take quarantine as a time to reflect, like it has been so impactful. So everyone that I know that has had that experience, it was because they had the time to take a break from like the craziness of life and like just going through the motions and checking things off a to-do list. We all kind of get into that like hustle culture and busy mentality. And unless you were an essential worker in March, you definitely had to like not be on that grind for probably the first time in like a lot of our lives. And again, just grateful for like my health help my family all of that is comes number one but speaking of your mantra about Mm -hmm. growth you have definitely done a lot of growing in the past year and maybe you can talk a little bit about your journey with addiction and recovery and what that has looked like in the past year oh this year has been crazy (laughs) truly (laughs) so much so much has happened I was saying earlier about how I've always felt like I've known intellectually these things about living healthy and happy and all of that jazz, but I wasn't, I definitely wasn't doing it. And even when I was meditating, I was deep, deep in addiction a year or a little over a year ago. Now it's been like a year and a couple months. I got hooked on pain meds, which is the worst thing in the world. I mean, so many people struggle with it. For me, it was crazy because from the outside, I think a lot of people, I mean, you can say too, I saw you in the midst of it and no one, no one knew anything. And I never had any hospitalizations. I never had any interactions with the police or nodding off or any of that. So from the outside, I think it it looked like I was fine and it looked like I was my life was somewhat put together. But in the inside and behind closed doors, I was really struggling with opiate use and 
when I started to use opiates, it, it started with a surgery, which is how a lot of the stories go. It starts with a surgery. And then my ex-boyfriend had said something in passing about how great it is when you don't need it and how great it feels when you don't need it. And I had never tried it. So once I got better from the surgery and whatever, I, I, di- I did. And I didn't think anything was going to happen. I thought it was going to be whatever. It was whatever for a couple of months. And then I started using it on weekends and I started taking it just to chill and to socialize. And then I started taking it just to be home. And then I, I was prescribed also Adderall, which is which is a problem to mix the two. And for me, it was actually the solution. It was, I was self-medicating. I was basically taking Adderall when I felt like the Oxy was too strong. And I was taking the Oxy when I felt like the Adderall was too strong. And I was, I mean, it's like a modern day speedball, I guess. Like I was completely trying to manipulate and control my moods because I just wanted to feel okay. And I just wanted to feel normal. And I got so dependent on these pills for dealing with how I felt, whether it was my boyfriend cheating on me or needing to get work done. I had no idea how to do it, any of it without these medications. And so as I started abusing Oxy, it just started getting worse with the Adderall and it became a like a never-ending cycle. And then I did that for about two years. And no one knew besides me and my ex-boyfriend. And then after two years, you get tired of it. I got tired of it. And I was over having to meet up with dealers. And I was over having, I was over sitting at home and just feeling like shit because I didn't want to be taking it. And I, I knew, I knew all these concepts that I had learned from Eckhart and all the other authors I had read, Miguel Ruse and all of these people. And I knew that I wasn't living in alignment with what I was preaching. And it was fun. It was ironic because I would take Adderall and sit around and read these books about self-help. And then I would take an Oxy to deal with like the fact that I wasn't living by them. And like, it was a never ending cycle. And so I remember my boyfriend at the time had cheated on me for like the 10th, 11th, 12th, that's a 12th that I know of. So we'll round it to like 30 probably. And (laughs) canceled. Exactly. He had cheated on me with my old, my old best friend. And so when I found out about this, I had done some like major FBI detective work as we all do. And I found out and I was on pills and I showed up at his house and I remember leaving his house that day being like that morning early in the morning what have I become like I this isn't something this isn't someone I want to be I'm not the type of person that goes to the person's house after they cheat on me with my best friend like that's the opposite of everything I want to do like I want to let go of people that treat me poorly and I was not capable of it I like the pills and the losing myself completely once again in another relationship and just needing him to tell me I'm okay. And I became the type of girl that would run and chase and this guy instead of let him go after being hurt so badly. And so that night, that morning when I left his house and I had this whole realization, I called my dad 
And I was like, dad, I need to get out of New York City. I thought it was a perfect example. I was like, my boyfriend cheated on me, blah, blah, blah. I need to leave. And he was like, okay, like what happened? I was hysterically crying. He was like, what happened? Where do you like, what's going on? Where do you want to go? Blah, blah, blah. And I told him I wanted to go to Kenyon Ranch and work on my mental health and like get away. Then I was going to go to Kenyon Ranch and I, I ended up going. But when I was on my way there, I had convinced myself I was going to wean myself off of all of these medications while I was there. I bought more pills <laughs> to be able to wean myself off of them when I got there, which is how an addiction mm. works. So I get there and I obviously am not weaning myself off of anything. I'm taking whatever I want and I'm doing spiritual things and thinking that I'm getting better and still taking the same meds. And so I eventually, long story short, called my dad again and was like, I think, I think I, I, I blamed it on the Adderall because he had known that I was on Adderall. And I was just like, I think I want to get off of this Adderall. Like, I think I need something more intense than Kenyan Ranch my stepmom, I, I don't, I think I've told you this part of the story, but my stepmom was on the FaceTime, like in the background. And she had a friend that had gone to treatment and she texted me. She meant to text my dad, but she texted me saying, press her, keep asking at like, she's on something else. Ask her what else she's on. Oh my God. And I was on FaceTime with my dad and I see her name pop up and I like, I'm about to look and she like pops into the FaceTime and she's like, Lily, like you're about to get a bunch of texts. Like I meant to send them to dad. I'm really like, I'm worried about you. I love you. Like, I just want you to be okay. There's this place that my friend went to. I'm going to send you the link to it. Look at it. Like, I think you'll really like it. And she sends me the link. And to me, that was all, all I needed was someone to open the door. It was a full on rehab. And for me, like I didn't, I didn't need anything else like that. I wanted to go. I just didn't want to have to say that I wanted to go or needed to go. And so as soon as she sent that link and like kind of normalized it for me and for my dad, who I was very worried of like letting down and all of that, my mom had kind of already known a little bit. I was like, this looks amazing. I want to go. When's the next opening? And I went straight from Kenyon ranch to there. They took everything I ended up staying in residential and treatment for two months. And then I ended up doing four months in sober living. It was amazing and crazy and hard and sad and happy. And I just, I really, really wanted to get better. And, you know, if you want it and you do the work, as they say in treatment, even though it's a little corny, it works if you work it. So if you do the work and you're ready to do the work, it's, it was the best decision I ever made. And now I've been off of oxys for off of pills for like a year, a little over a year. I checked mm -hmm. myself in last July. So what? crazy. Thank you. Thank for you. That. I guess for anyone who is either going through this process themselves or has a friend or a family member who's struggling with addiction, what do you wish people outside of the recovery community knew about the process that you went through and the recovery process in general? I wish more than anything, I wish that it was normalized. I wish that it was like, this sounds weird, but I wish it was like a little more casual. Like 
I was so scared because I mean, growing up in the city, it's like, oh my God, he went to rehab or like, oh my God, she went to rehab. Like, can you believe it? And it's like, then it becomes this whole thing where it's like asking for help is so scary because you're scared of what people are going to think and you're scared of what it's going to be like. And it sounds so intimidating and people outside of the recovery community, once you're in the recovery community, it's very normalized. But outside of it, there's still so much stigmas around it. And it it can happen to anyone. I'm a living example of that. And I, I just wish people were more understanding, more accepting and more more casual about it. Because I think then if people were able to just talk about it openly, the people that are actually in the midst of it and going through it would be comfortable asking and coming to people for help. And I think also there's like so much panic around it when someone says like they're struggling with addiction because it obviously is very, it's very serious. I mean, it's a really serious, deep issue. And so it's obviously you have to tread between like, you obviously don't want to be too casual about it because you don't want to lose lives. And, but at the same time, like about getting help, I wish it was a little more accessible and a little bit people were a little bit more understanding and looked at it from like a blank slate and looked at each person individually, because you can get put into a category of like, this is how you have to handle treatment. And this is how you have to handle recovery. And this is how you have to handle addiction. And each person, it's so different. Everyone uses for different reasons. And I think it would also be great if people like individualized it a little more. Yeah. And I'm sure that attitude also helps so much because at the end of the day, a lot of times the first time around treatment doesn't work for people or it doesn't last. And I think that if there was more of an openness around asking for help and reaching out, it would be okay to know that sometimes it doesn't work the first time. And sometimes it takes like a lifetime of, of work. So yeah, I love that. How you put that. Another thing that I have written down here is this idea that, and I mean, I touched on this earlier, but this year has been a year of intense loss for a lot of us, whether it be about losing our senior year party or our prom or our jobs or our work routine or whatever. And I know that you have faced immense loss with the loss of one of your friends from recovery. And I guess whether you're facing this loss on a smaller scale or on, you know, the scale of a human life as you have, what has been the biggest lesson in that grieving journey? I mean, I have, this was the first time I've ever dealt with grief, which I'm very lucky about. I have never dealt with losing someone so close to me. I mean, she was my best, best friend in treatment. And we went, she lived in my sober living with me. And then we went through like, we, she lost her boyfriend and who I had gotten close with too. And we went through that whole thing together, her grieving him and me watching, having to watch her grieve him and how heartbroken she was. And it was almost as sad to watch her lose him as it was to, for me to lose him because it, they, it was, that was like her person at the time. 
And then after all of the talk of losing him and her and I, we spent countless hours talking about what does it mean to lose someone? Like, what do you do? How do you move forward? Blah, blah, blah. And then seven months after to lose her, she couldn't, she couldn't do it. She couldn't move past the grief, I think, because prior to losing him, she was doing the best she had in terms of sobriety and mental health and stuff. And she was still struggling, but she was doing the best she had. And then when she lost him, you know, grief completely took her over. She, all she wanted was to be with him. And and then the using got worse because she couldn't deal with it. And, you know, it was crazy to watch. And then to lose her, for me, I knew I couldn't handle it the way she did. Because, I mean, I know she wouldn't want that for me. I know that, like, she was always so proud of my recovery and always, I mean, I have endless conversations and texts that when I'm ready to return to, sometimes I do, of her saying those things of how proud she was and all of that. But grief has been such a weird thing for me. Like, some days it feels like it's not real still. I mean, it's pretty recent. So some days I'm like, I feel like, oh, I could text her. And then it hits me and I'm like, wait, what? Like, I can't, like, I I can never, that's like crazy. And then some days I'm fine and it's okay. And I think of her and I think of a memory and I'm happy and whatever, and it's good. And then, you know, I started this book called Signs and it's all about like being able to see the signs that people that have passed bring to us. And there's little things like, that I'll see and I'll think of her and I have some of her stuff that I think of that I see and I hold when I'm like really sad or whatever but lessons wise I've just learned that like you have to let yourself feel whatever you're feeling and like not rush the process it comes in waves and I think she was so she wanted to just stop feeling so badly that it took her life and for me I know that like if I want to get to the, I mean, I don't know if there is like another side of grief, but like, if I want to keep getting through the grief, which I have been, then I need to let myself feel everything. And like feelings are fine. And some days not wanting to do anything is fine. And some days being okay is fine too. And you don't need to feel guilty about that. And it looks different for everyone, but just letting yourself feel and taking it one day at a time is the biggest, the biggest thing for me. I'm literally like, crying a little bit because I'm sure if anyone listening has ever dealt with losing someone they know how important those signs are in my life and people that I know who have lost someone signs are so so important and I'm not even like a spiritual person I don't really believe in an afterlife or I haven't found that belief yet in my lifetime but I know that holding on to, to signs that someone is still there in some form, like it just allows me to, like you said, move through grief. And I'm sure that like anyone listening who has dealt with this can, can completely relate to that. And it's hard with signs. Like you'll never know for sure that a sign is a sign. I mean, you can believe that it's a coincidence or you can believe that it's a sign. And like, for me, some, there have been some signs that I've been like, oh my God, like there's, that has to be her. Like that has to be, like, she has to have done that. There's no way, like that's too weird. 
And then there's some things that are more like, I'll think of her and then I'll like look at the moon and it will like last night. And I thought I was thinking about her. And I was like, after I read one of the questions about grief and I looked at the moon and it was just like, it's been a full moon and it was crazy. And there was like one little star next to it. And it was like, it looks like for some reason, I don't know if like my vision was blurry or what was going on, but it looked like a heart or something, this star. And I had just like thought of her. And so when I saw it, I was like, uh, well, there she is. And, or I was, it was, my vision was blurry and it was nothing. But for me, like to get through the grief again, I like to hope that there's something out there and she is able to send me, send me little signs. I completely agree. I think that that's like, it's like whatever gets you through it, you know, exactly. at the end of the day, exactly. it's like, how can I keep going? Sometimes I wish I was just a very religious person because I'm like, I could just default to that in these circumstances. But because I am not really affiliated with any formal religious group, I'm like, I kind of have to like figure it out on my own in these situations. And finding those signs has been so helpful for me. And also like, like you said before, going through this whole thing has also like made you, it seems, think about what would she want for me? And I think that finding your purpose and finding like a love for life and a zest for life is also like so, so, so healing. And to transition a little bit, you posted something a few weeks ago that said, I'm afraid I'll never be happy with what I have because I don't really know what I want. And I was like, damn, that, that hits. Like, that is just like, sometimes I just feel like there are so many different things that I'm interested in. And my purpose is like changing a lot or it's unstable. And I guess when it feels like there's a million different paths in front of us, how do we begin? How do we start? (laughs) Oh, uh, I wish I had the answer to this one so badly. (laughs) When I posted that quote, you know, like it is genuinely a fear of mine because I don't know exactly what I want to do yet too. Like you were saying, like there's so many things I'm interested in, but I don't know which one. And I like to think that to answer your question of like, where do we begin? I think we just like begin where we are and like, we start where we are with, (laughs) we start, we start where we are with what we have and you take it one day at a time. What can you do today that will get you closer to what your bigger, I mean, it's obviously great, I think, to have big dreams and aspirations and all of that. And if you're someone that's like, I know I want to do this, I think it's a lot easier to like take, figure out the steps to get there. But for me, and I I guess you too, feel like you have a little more direction than me. But (laughs) for me, definitely for me, definitely. I'm just like, I I don't know exactly what I want to do. So what can I do today that will help me figure that out? And Mm -hmm. for me, I decided it was going back to school after taking a year off and getting my mental health better. 
And I'm now just taking two classes on mindfulness, one's on mindfulness and the other one's on mental health and different cultural perspectives. And I don't know what I want to end up doing, but I know that I want to bring a message of recovery and healing and self-help and all of this stuff and help destigmatize it and bring it to a bigger group of people our age, because it's rare for people our age to talk about this stuff out loud, I think, and on social media and all of that. But it stresses me out to think of what, how am I going to do that? When am I going to do that? I need to do it now, like all of that. So I, I try and always come back to like my daily practices and my daily routines. And I feel like things start to fall into place as you keep that consistent Mm -hmm. and opportunities come up and sometimes they bring you right in the direction you thought you were going and sometimes you pivot a little and then you get back and I think I do believe the universe opens the doors that are supposed to be open if you're open to them that was a lot of open but (laughs) no I I feel that I feel that for sure there's a show on Netflix called The Politician basically it's about this kid who wants to be the president of the United States. And so he makes an entire plan. He's like, I know if I go to this college and I'm the president of my high school, these are my friends and this is my history, then I will eventually become the president. And it shows him falling off that path in many ways and also just getting caught up in like, drama and all of this stuff to try and get to the top and try and reach that end goal. And there are so many times in my life where I have made plans where I'm like, this is what is going to happen for me. And this is where I want to go. And this is where I'm headed. And these are the steps I need to get there. And then I'm going through the process and I'm like, wait a minute, this other thing just came up and I can't avoid that opportunity because it will probably only come up once in my life and maybe it doesn't fit into the overall plan but like at the end of the day finding my purpose is going to come in all of these little cumulative experiences that eventually lead up to like who I am what I want to be what I want to do and I also think that like your career doesn't always have to be like the end thing that you're focused on. Sometimes it could just be your relationships, your happiness, your mental health, your family. Like those things can also, should also take precedent in your life. And I think like with hustle culture, it has just become like your job is that main thing that should bring you joy. And at the end of the day, there are so many people that maybe don't have that relationship with their work and it doesn't have to be that way, you know, like your, your joy can come from outside of work. Um, and it's awesome that like, it's awesome if you can have both, but it doesn't have to be like the end all be all like you failed if your passion project isn't your main income source, you know? Totally. Totally. I guess just to end off, one question we ask all of our guests on Ageless is what do you want to be when you grow up? So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Mm, Interesting question. Well, going off of what we were just saying, what do I want to be? 
I don't know if it's what I want to be or like who I want to be, you know, like I want to, mm-hmm. I want to be happy. I want to have a family. I want to maybe, uh, like I said, I want to figure out a way to bring mindfulness and mental health to our generation and to a bigger audience and normalize it. But I don't, I don't know what I want to be, you know, like we were saying, mm-hmm. I think it's about, it's about more than what, what I want to do or what I want to accomplish right now, at least it's about more like the little goals and taking it one day at a time. I love that answer. I completely agree. And I think that part of the reason why we asked that question is because throughout childhood, we're taught that we're supposed to have one answer to that, like astronaut or lawyer or doctor or whatever. I've just realized that maybe it's not as clear cut as that at the end of the day. So that's the real, real, real talk. Seriously, that's just the truth. All right. So thank you for doing this, Lily. I mean, I could talk to you forever. Thank you for having me. Tell our listeners where they can find you and follow you. You can find me on Instagram at Lily Eve, L-I-L-L-I-E-V-E. And right now that's that's the main place. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. All right. So I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 